Hallelujah. What grace that our God has granted unto us. Look beyond our fault and saw our need. A wonderful song, a wonderful reality. Thank you, Lord Jesus. God bless you, each and every one. We just want to welcome you. And as you've connected with us by the Zoom and by the Internet and both locally and long distance, we just pray God will bless you today in a magnificent way. Amen. Down at the cross where my Savior died. Glory to His name. Oh, down at the cross where my Savior died. Down where for cleansing from sin I cried. And there to my heart was the blood applied. Oh, glory to His name. Jesus, praise the name of the Lord. Oh, give me that 
Old time religion, give me that. Old time religion, give me that. Old time religion, it's good enough for me. In the old time Holy Spirit, the devil won't go near it. That's the reason people fear it, but it's good enough for me. It's Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. The old-time Holy Spirit is the same Holy Spirit that's going to take me all the way. Hallelujah! Oh, it's going to carry us right through this pandemic. It's going to carry, carry us through all political upheaval. We're not going to pay any attention to it. we got our eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus. Oh, give me that old-time religion, for that's the only thing that's going to stand in this hour. Oh, hallelujah. Glory, glory, glory. I feel on fire this morning. We better keep on singing, brother, or I'm going to start crying. Hallelujah. Oh, give me that old-time religion. Old-time religion, give me that It's good enough for me, so give me that old-time religion. Give me that old-time religion. Give me that old-time religion. It's good enough for me. That sounds like hope to me. Like where I want. No tears to dim our eyes. 
of God will be. That sounds like hope to me. Oh, that sounds like hope to me. Like where I want to be, there'll be no tears to dim our eyes again. like hope to me while they're playing that maybe we can stand together can you just think about it where we'll be on the other side we'll be making the hills echo with the song of his grace and glory and may we make the hills echo this morning with the songs of grace and glory of our Lord Jesus Christ let's just worship him and praise him with all of our hearts getting in preparation for the word of God brother Tim will be bringing us this morning we're so looking forward to it amen I'm going to ask our brother Tom if he'll come and lead us in in prayer this morning we've got a couple of prayer requests I just want to bring before you Um, one of them is from uh, brother Milko and he's asking that we pray for a friend of his wife Johanna's in uh, Munich, Germany. Uh, her name is Ingrid. She's suffering with a type of leukemia. And he writes, Most important, pray for her husband Reiner and family for their salvation. And may the Lord Jesus use this sickness to get their attention. And may our Lord Jesus be glorified. Amen. And Sister Laverne's son Stanley has an operation tomorrow to um, amputate part of his leg because of the the diabetes that has afflicted his body. So maybe we can just uh, take that to the throne of grace this morning, Brother Tom. Appreciate you, brother. God bless you. Amen. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. The presence of God is just like home to me. Lord, when you just step out of the crowd... And a woman just would fall at your feet. She knew that you were the answer. Plagued for years, Lord. Plagued, Lord God, with a sickness. And this world is plagued with sickness and darkness. But we can say as your prophet spoke, Lord, shalom, arise and shine. Your light has come. And what a light it's been, Lord, to guide us through this gross darkness in this life. But Lord, we could cry out to the same one, that woman cried out to Jesus. We say, Lord Jesus, would you meet these needs? Brother Nathan has spoken of this morning. But not only these needs, Lord, but those that are in the assembly and the church of the living God. The world might not want you, but we want you, Lord Jesus. We want everything that you are. 
And Lord, we need you to speak to us. We need you to use your vessel this morning. We need the word to feed the hunger of our souls. So would you, Lord, anoint our precious brother Tim Dodd. That you would speak, Lord, through the vessel. And that it would find good ground for that seed to bring forth life. Lord, every need, every burden, every soul that will hear this message this morning... May they look to the Lamb of God, for He alone is able to heal and to save. Lord, deliver your people, we pray, in this wicked hour. Put a hedge around them, Lord, a fire. Let the presence of God, Lord, watch over each and every one. And may this be a blessed moment of time that they will hear the word of God and that, Lord, they will be fed from the Master's table. Bless each one now, we pray in Jesus' name. Maybe we can sing the first verse of that song. It's been going... Actually, the second verse. They, they say there's mansions there inside that city. They say there's mansions there inside that city. A crystal river flowing by the tree of life. No pain or disappointments there to hurt us. And Jesus Christ himself will be the light. Oh, sing it now, that sounds like home to me, like where I want to be. There'll be of God will be that sounds like home to me Amen Hallelujah You can have your seats this morning We appreciate you all standing with us and just entering in Oh praise God It's it's wonderful to be in the presence of the Lord I think we're going to invite our brother Tim to come right out and and take us, uh, take the uh, the pulpit here and minister unto us. And maybe we can just sing, "Welcome, welcome, Holy Spirit, we welcome Thee, and Holy Ghost, we welcome Thee." <clears throat> welcome, 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 Holy Ghost.
Lord, I will follow. Lead me, Lord, I will go. Lead me, Lord. Oh, I will follow. Lead me, Lord, I will go. You have called me. sing that again together as we make that our prayer. Lead me Lord. Why don't you stand with me as we sing that? I will follow Yes Lord. Lead me Lord I will go You have called me I will Wonderful Heavenly Father. That's our desire, O God. That we would be good followers. We know that You are a great leader. You are the only one that is worthy to be followed. You said, My sheep know My voice. A stranger they will not follow, O God. And Lord, we're here this morning expressing that with all of our hearts. You are the one that we shall follow. You are our guide. You are our shepherd. You are our king. You are our government, O God. You are the one that gives us place in this life and in another life to come. Lord, we thank you, Lord. You said, O God, and we have received it, Lord, as we have received the Holy Spirit, we have received our rest. O God, we have... We have received that perfect love that casts out all fear. Lord, we embrace it. We more than embrace it. Lord, we embody it. And Lord, as we're gathered together this this morning, this Sunday morning, it's Sunday morning here. There might be parts of the world where it's Sunday night. There might be other places where they're streaming right now. Lord, I'm reminded there must have been places 2,000 years ago when you ministered. They weren't just nice churches with nice pews and full of people. They were homes, Lord. They were little gatherings. There were a few people, Lord, but you ministered to them and the word was precious as you spoke it. 
And so, Lord, once again, may the word be precious again this morning. May you speak it to your children, your sheep. They know your voice. Your bride loves you. The bride loves the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom, the friends of the bridegroom, we just rejoice to hear your voice. But the bride doesn't look at us, Lord. She looks at you. You're the one she's in love with. And we just commit our time now into your hands. We want to say we love you and we thank you for your grace and your mercies, Lord, as we commit this time into your hands. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, I want to say it's good to be in the house of the Lord. And uh, I haven't been here for a few weeks, trying to keep the numbers down here at the church just to the absolute essential staff to run the service and and do run the equipment. And we appreciate each and every one that comes and operates it and in many ways are envious of them because you get to be here while we're at home. God bless you. Thank you, musicians. That's all the singing will do, but we thank you for your service and appreciate that effort. And thank you uh, this morning for all of you that are there. Uh, God bless you. Thank you for inviting us into your homes. Uh, we're, we're here uh, at the church and you're there at your place of abode. And thank you for the invitation to be with you this morning. And uh, we want to take our Bibles and turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 13 while you're standing. Uh, many standing at home, we're standing here. Matthew chapter 13. I want to speak a subject this morning as I've been kind of, uh, uh, I, I took a couple of weeks off and then, then we had lot, we have lots of ministers around here. So there's lots of people to fill the pulpit and haven't ministered for a while, but just been kind of sitting back watching events unfold. And there have been a lot of events unfold and pondering things and looking at them in the Word of God. And so a kind of a subject came on my heart and I want to speak this morning on the maturity of good and evil. The maturity of good and evil. And while you're turning there, I I just want to make one announcement, and that is that uh, we have added two messages to the Message Hub app. Uh, The Android version of the uh, Message Hub mobile app now also contains the Luganda language and the Czech language. So Luganda and Czech are now available uh, to those believers that are in those countries. And Luganda we're especially happy about because that's the Uganda country where thousands of believers, new believers have come in, uh, received baptism and embraced the message of the hour. So we're thankful for that. Many things are happening there. Brother Fred Chinji wrote me, told me, says, during the shutdown, probably over a hundred churches have come into the message. That's during the lockdown, Brother Tom. Imagine what God can do without a lockdown. But that's what God can do in the midst of a, of a lockdown. So the gospel is not hindered. God will fulfill His purpose. Amen. So Matthew chapter 13, we'll just go right to the Word. Uh, pray for me for, um, I said to Brother Tom as he was coming out on the platform, I said, pray for me for conciseness. Uh, I have... Probably very much on my uh, notes this morning. Matthew 13 and verse 24 is where we'll start. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. 
But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares amongst the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. And so the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst thou not sow good seed in thy field? And from whence then hath it tares? And he said unto them, An enemy has done this. And the servants said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? And he said, Nay, lest while you gather up the tares, you root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Let's jump down to verse 37. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the son of man, the field is the world, the seed are the, the good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil, the harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angel, angels, and therefore the tear, the, the, as therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of the world. Amen. The Lord add his blessing to the word. You may be seated. Now, we realize that the word of God is not something that can be carnally understood. As Jesus said to Nicodemus, he says, except a man be born again, he cannot understand the kingdom of God. And we must have the Holy Spirit, not just in our lives, but we must be in the right atmosphere of the Holy Spirit that He would make these things real to us as we speak them. It's important for you wherever you are tonight, however you're gathered, with whomever you are, whether you be one person or whether, whether there be many there, it doesn't make any difference, but it's the only the Holy Spirit that can give revelation. It's only the Holy Spirit that can make these things real to you. And I can imagine, as I, as I even I prayed that 2,000 years ago, that there were many settings as they heard the word that were not perfect church settings. Jesus many times was in the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus and, and ministered to them the word of God and, and he was in different places and he went to Zacchaeus's house and he, and he went to different homes and so it's not, it's not just a matter of, oh well, we can't get to church. That's not really the relevant part. The relevant part is are we hearing the word of God? Do we have ears to hear? Do we have eyes to see? Are, are we approaching the word this morning with the right attitude? And I, I think that we definitely need to, uh, need to get rid of any self-pity this morning. And I hope you can say amen to that. We need to stop feeling sorry for ourselves. You have the word of life. The fact that you're sitting under this word is a tremendous place to be sitting this morning. It doesn't matter that you're not here in the church. We'd love as preachers, we'd love to have the church be full. We'd love to have everybody here. We'd love to have the pull right in this assembly. But but let us not feel sorry for ourselves. You know, let us rejoice. Let us, as the scripture says, let us be glad and rejoice for the marriage of the Lamb has come and, and the bride has made herself ready. 
I, I was appreciating what Brother Ken preached last Sunday night, and it spawns some good conversation in our home. And, and certainly as you hear these things and you're in your home and the service is over, talk about these things. You know, talk these things over and, you know, how, you know, even as they walked on the road to Emmaus, they talked about these things. And as they talked about him, he drew near. And so talk about these things. And I'll even say if there's something that's said that that has a question and I have a subject this morning that that um, I may be approaching it from a little bit different angle. And, and if you have a question, feel free to drop me an email. And, and I say that especially to the local assembly. It's just t dot at bibleway.org. There you go. You have my email address. And uh, if you have a question, feel free to send me an email. Whatever it is, if anything that we can help you in order to make the word of God plain in this hour. We're living in the harvest time. The time that Jesus described in verse 30, he says, let both grow together until the harvest. And in 39, he explains it. The enemy that sowed the seed is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. The harvest is the end of the age. And so we are, we are come now to that place where Jesus is describing here. There'll be a growth. There'll be certain ingredients necessary for the growth of the crop. But there will come a harvest time. And when there's a harvest time, there's harvest time conditions. You don't have harvest time whenever you feel like it. You don't have harvest time just because you think, oh, I got time today, let's have a harvest. That's not the point. There's got to be harvest conditions. There's got to be a ripening. There's got to be a maturity. There's got to be the, the, the right uh, atmosphere. And all the events have got to come together to produce a harvest that will take the tares to their destination and will take the wheat to their destination. Now, as we speak of these two different seeds, I was texting with Brother Ken and he was telling me that, that, uh, he, as he was speaking on Jacob and Esau, how that, uh, uh, they were, uh, they were, uh, in the message, uh, hearing, recognizing and acting on the word of God, 1960. And he was, he was relating back to that. He says, I think I mentioned the, the, the different, uh, place that it was at, but, uh, he says that's where it was. And, and so I got to reading in that message and I thought, well, Jacob and Esau are a great example of what we're speaking on this morning. So, uh, to quote another preacher here, excuse me if I'm a little quotatious this morning. And, uh, in the message hearing, recognizing and acting on the word, Brother Branham says these things. He says, I believe that these two great forces are soon coming to a head. He says, and, I, and both of these great forces are represented in these two sons of Isaac. Of course, he's talking about spiritual forces. The world is in the grip of two spiritual forces, he says. He says, how that God in his infinite wisdom has foreshadowed all these things to us, that we might by these things know of certain what lays before us. That's 1960. He says, even though their virgin mother, for she was a virgin, the beautiful Rebecca, that married the righteous seed of God's promise, Isaac, that they were two consecrated, spirit-filled believers on God, foreordained to the very message that they united together by. 
He says, God foreknew it. And how could such a thing come through that one mother by one father, one an evil person, and another a very good person? And how that the good person looked to be evil, and the evil looked to be good? Now, there, there's quite a statement that if you catch what Brother Branham is identifying here, be careful how you're looking at things. Watch now, because sometimes when it's, and, and I'll say it now, before it's come to its maturity, sometimes the evil looks good and the good looks evil. That's why Jesus said in the parable, he says, uh, the reapers will be, who ask, or the workers ask, should we pull up the tares? He says, no, lest you pull up the wheat also. Because you might not, in the immature form, be able to tell the two apart. You've got to wait till the harvest time or the time of maturity. All right, let's go on a little bit further as Brother Brown talks about Jacob and Esau. Esau represented the man of the earth, natural, religious inclined, but never able. It wasn't in him to do it. He couldn't do it. He never was in him to be able to climb past the things of the world, the carnal things. But Jacob, it was just so easy for him to do it. One purpose Jacob had, and that was that he longed for that birthright. No matter how he got it, just so he got it. Amen. He says, that's the way it is with the spiritual believer today. He doesn't care how much you laugh at him, how much fun you make, how ridiculous he has to act to the carnal mind. His only objective is the birthright. And I trust we all can say amen to that. I trust that burns within our heart. Lord, that's my one objective. I must have the birthright. That's one place I want to be. I remember as a young boy praying on beside my bed. I can see my bedroom and see exactly the whole thing laid out before me right now. And I just knelt down there and says, Lord, whatever it takes, don't let me miss the rapture. God is faithful. Amen. That's the attitude we have to take, no matter what it takes. No matter what, what, what it requires. Amen. That's the real believer. No matter what, Lord, just don't let me miss the rapture. Amen. He says he wants to get, no matter how much fun they make, how ridiculous it is to carnal mind, his only objective is the birthright. He wants to get to God because it's born in him. He can't help it. Oh my. See, it's, I could just stop here because sometimes, you know, we, I won't say we misrepresent, but sometimes we misunderstand the new birth. The new birth is an individual experience. The new birth is God coming to His own. The new birth is God's reality in your life, Him dealing with you. You might look at this one and say, well, He got it that way. And you might look at that one and say, well, He got it that way or she got it this way or she, maybe I gotta do it this way or I gotta do it that way. You know, Brother Branham talked about his own experience as a young boy. He says, I, I put a, I nailed up a letter out in the woods and hoped that God would read it and says, I never felt no difference. He says, I prayed. He says, I remember seeing a picture of somebody praying. Praying, you know, maybe something like this or something, you know, and, and, or like this or whatever it was. And, and so I thought, well, that's the way I need to pray and nothing happened. He says, and finally, he says, one day I just got so tired of it. I got down and got real with God and there it happened. 
Amen. God came into his life. It's God bringing you to your individual personal experience. And uh, don't ever forget that because as the as the message grows, as, as every predestinated seed comes in, we have to be careful not to make this so much of a worldwide move that it loses its individuality. It remains an individual gospel. God deals with the Jews as a people, but He deals with the Gentiles as individuals. It's God to you, individual. There's no mediator between God and man, but the man Christ Jesus. Amen. I, I, I don't know. I feel anointed. There's nobody here, but I feel anointed. So it might be the few musicians that are doing a great job, or it might be you out there. It doesn't matter. It's God doing the job. Amen. He says, the spiritual man, this same message, the spiritual man today and the spiritual woman that's elected, predestinated of God to come to eternal life, if they have to sell everything they got, if they have to take their name off every ch- church book in the nation, They still want that birthright. It's the only thing that matters to them. Amen. Just get that birthright, that's all. No matter how, what level they have to come on. If they have to get down at the altar and cry, boo-boo-boo-hoo, he says. If they have to run through the places and go back and make things right and sell what they got or give away everything they have and become a pilgrim and a stranger. I want you to notice that statement because I'm going to come back to it, Lord willing, at the end of the service. Give away everything they have and become a pilgrim and a stranger. It doesn't matter. They want the birthright. That's all they're interested in. The birthright. He says, and I'll say it again, that's all they're interested in. The birthright. They're, that's all. He says, now don't blame them, people. He's talking about the unbeliever. He says, they can't help it. They were predestinated to that. Just like you are. He says they were elected to that. Amen. So we see now that Jacob and Esau get, uh, representing to us the two types of people. As I'm speaking this morning on the maturity of good and evil. Now, we know that God has a redemption plan. He's got a great redemption purpose. You can read about that in the Church Age book if you want to. It's about page 250, I think. 256 rings a bell, but I could be wrong there. And, you know, but God has a, a plan of redemption for the Gentile also. In particular, He has a plan of redemption for the bride. Alright? And the bride is not everybody. The bride is not everybody that will have eternal life. Because in the white throne judgment, there will be many that are given eternal life. Alright? And that they will not go into the lake of fire based on other criteria besides election and the new birth. Alright? And I'm not going to go into all of that this morning. But what I'm saying is that God has a plan and God is working out His plan. It's not us. Figuring out redemption. Praise the Lord. I'm glad I don't have to figure it out. It's God that has a plan of redemption. It's God that is making everything clear. It's Him doing it. It's not us. And everything that God does is right on time. Let me let that sink in now. Everything God does is right on time. Let that sink into your mind and down into your heart. There's no surprises with God. 
We serve an omniscient God. He knows all things. He knew there would be, oh, we talked too much about it, but he knew there'd be this crazy worldwide nonsense going on in this COVID uh, pandemic, as they call it, and the virus and all of those kind of things. It's not that it's not real, but the reaction to it is crazy. The, the, it's, it's way, a way over reaction. And I'm, I'm not want to get into all of that. It's, it's not part of the gospel, but I want to say that that doesn't surprise God. It doesn't surprise God that we're, we're here this morning with empty pews. Doesn't surprise God that you're in your home and, and, and wanting the atmosphere of God in your home like it is in church here. That doesn't surprise God. So God knew you'd be sitting there this morning. God knew you'd be desiring to hear from Him this morning. You don't think He's made a provision? He's made a provision. God has a provided way. God has something for you. Lock yourself in with your thoughts with God this morning and say, Lord, let the Word become very powerful in my life. And further, I want to say that there's not one seed of God that will be lost. Jesus says it in John chapter 10. He says, my sheep know my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My father, which gave them me is greater than all. No man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. And then Jesus makes those words that says those words that made them so angry. I and my father are one. He says it doesn't matter whether I say they're in my hand or it doesn't matter say whether they're in my father's hand. We're one anyway. It's the same hand. And so, so Jesus saying that nobody's going to pluck any of them away. Doesn't, in other words, it doesn't matter what you do to the elect. Doesn't matter how you come against them. Doesn't matter how you try and shut them down. It doesn't matter what, what, what the devil has planned. It just doesn't matter. Amen. It just doesn't matter. Because God said, I'll not lose one. The Father's hand is all powerful. And, and so we, in this redemptive plan, as I'm just taking my time here, yet trying to be concise, in this great plan, and I, I thought of bringing some slides, but I, then I thought against it, it just takes up more time. We realize God dealing with the Gentiles is described as seven church ages. And uh, in the midst of those seven church ages, or we could say at the end of those ages, there's a great uh, un- unveiling of the mystery of God. We call it the opening of the seven seals as described in Revelation chapter 5. The mystery of God is finished as, as is described in Revelation 10. We realize he's got seven messengers which are called the seven eyes of the Lord and in, in Zechariah and, and all of these things. And through these seven ages, and this is the point that I want to get to, through these seven ages... There are four living creatures as it's described in the book of Revelation. Or Brother Branham says there, there are four anointings that are sent to the church to combat what the devil is doing or what the Antichrist spirit is doing in each era. I don't want to say age because well, there's seven church ages, but there's only four anointings. And so the anointings overlap. Uh, different ages or cover over different ages and 
And, and these four living creatures or four anointings are, are particularly projected into the first four seals. Alright, so I've laid a lot down now in the last two minutes. From ages to anointings to seals to, to messengers and all of that now. And you can read all of that now. Go to the, read the exposition of the seven church ages. Go through the seven seals messages and all of those things. You'll get all of that and I'll refer some more to you if you want. So just do a little bit of reading this week. Amen. So now in this, what is happening is there's a great warfare. Brother Branham says there's two things coming to a head. There's two things coming to maturity. There's a great warfare that's going on. And we see it manifested in the events that are going on around us. But now, in order to understand what's going on today, we need to go back in history and identify how it's worked through history. And that's the great thing about the Word of God. Abraham didn't have a Bible. He couldn't look back in a Bible and say, well, here it's written here, or here it's written there. No, God spoke directly to Abraham. He, he didn't have a history that he could go back to. But we have both. We have the, we have not only the Bible, which is the absolute, but we also have the historical record of the church, and God's dealing with the church, and we can identify the two vines working within the framework of the church, the two spirits, and all of those things. All right, so, so let's go back to the first stage. I'm just saying a lot here, uh, and I realize I don't need to necessarily say all those things, but maybe for someone it'll help. Now, the, the anointings that are set to combat the devil, they're not independent. They combat the devil through you. They're anointings that are sent to the church. They're not just some, uh, well, I don't even know what you call it because I don't refer to it that way. They're not just some kind of cloud or some kind of ephemeral type of atmosphere that kind of comes to an age and just kind of works things out. No, it comes to people. It comes to humanity. And it begins to anoint the elect for the age to fulfill their purpose. All right? And so Brother Branham picks up that thought in the fifth seal. And, and he goes back to the very first age now as he's talking about these anointings. And he says, Polycarp, which was... Uh, also knew John, uh, Saint John as we call him, or John the Revelator, or John the Divine, di- different names attributed to him. But John, who wrote the book of Revelation, also knew Polycarp, and Polycarp was a young man, as John was an old man. And he says, Polycarp was burned. They said, he said it was too late for them to turn a lion loose in the arena, so they tore down a bathroom, an old bathhouse there, and put him in the arena and burned him. History records that actually the the licks of fire uh, wouldn't even touch him, so they actually had to kill him. They actually had to uh, put a a sword or a spear through him because the fire would just be wouldn't even hardly approach him. He was such a great man of God, and he, and he said it said on his road coming down, as he's going now to give his life for the gospel. It says he was. Uh, walking with his head down in the Roman centurion. I was thinking Roman centurion, but I was thinking police officer. The Roman centurion said, you're an old man and well-respected. Why don't you denounce that thing? And he just kept looking towards heaven. 
And a voice spoke from somewhere. They couldn't understand where. And said, Polycarp, don't fear. I am with you. Why, he was standing by that word. And when, he be- when they began to pile the boards to burn him, there was a heavenly music come down and the anthems of some he- angelic somewhere singing songs. He never even one time batted an eye to them. That's gallant men. That's men who can stand. The martyrs down through the ages that suffered terribly. But what was they? They were under the inspiration. All right? So we know there's inspiration there. The, the, the anointings are described as lion, ox, man, and eagle. They each carry a specific anointing. And during the dark ages, the ox anointing was a sacrificial anointing. They were anointed to give their lives. All right. Now I just laying that in there because I'll come back to it. He says they were under inspiration, the spirit of God, the power. And don't forget this church and you brethren on tape. I want you to examine this. Now listen close. He says, how could man do anything else besides the power of God that had been released to them? Okay. That's a very specific statement of how God moves. You don't just do things because you think you want to do them. You can only accomplish something for the kingdom of God as the Spirit moves you to do it. As God's anointing comes on you, that is what moves and accomplishes the purpose of God. He goes on. He says, if God sends a certain spirit among them, that's the only thing that they can work by, is the spirit that works among them. Now we'll prove to you by the history of the church and by the opening of the seals and the powers that let loose. And watch exactly the church responded to the anointing. They couldn't do nothing else. Amen. So I want you to catch that here this morning. And and uh, uh, I have to say to Brother Andrew, don't think I'm preaching right at you. I'm trying to look through that camera right into people's homes. <laughs> Brother Andrew's standing right behind the camera. And so I think sometimes you might think, I'm aiming this at him. Sort of I am, because that camera's right there. And so you just catch that it's at home. I don't want to be look like I'm looking off in somewhere else, but I want you to catch this now. He says, the church responded to the anointing they couldn't do nothing else. They couldn't. It's not an option. It's not, well, oh, well, you know, we'll go this direction. No, that's the carnal church. He's talking about the elect. The anointing comes to the elect in order that they might carry out what God's redemptive purpose has been all along. Because it's God's purpose, not man's purpose. It's God's elected purpose. In the message, why are people so tossed about? This is a quote that many of us have quoted over the years. Talking about Jesus going into the temple and reading the scripture. He says, the greatest anointing that ever give to anyone was Jesus Christ. We have the spirit by measure. He had it without measure. And one day he entered into the temple, picked up the scroll and read. Said, the spirit of God is upon me for he has anointed me. To preach the acceptable year, to bind up the broken hearts, to heal the sick, give sight to the blind. Now we would think, he's talking about, now of course he's talking to people in a Pentecostal era. It's 1956. 
He's talking to people with a Pentecostal mindset. He's saying, we would think if such anointing was on him that been prophesied 800 years before it would come, and here he was with that type of anointing, the full blessing and anointing of the Lord was upon him. We, we would want to run all over the building, scream and holler, but the Bible said he laid down the scroll, sat down, and precious words proceeded from his mouth. That's what he done under the anointing, he said. And then this famous statement, Brother Brown says, the anointing is not emotions. The anointing is supreme power in control, like knowing exactly what and how. And then he says, and that's what's here. Sometimes we think that if we're anointed, Brother Brown says we need to scream and holler and It'll produce screaming, it'll produce hollering, it'll produce emotion, it'll produce some kind of outward excitement and manifestation, it might produce some kind of great uh, energy and hard work and, and oh my, just some supercharge of, uh, of human capability. But Jesus sat down and precious words proceeded from his mouth. Remember, it's not us fulfilling God's plan, it's God fulfilling his own plan. All right, The Spirit of the Lord is upon us to fulfill our part. Jesus took the Scripture and turned to the Scripture in Isaiah where it spoke of who? Spoke of Him. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to fulfill this part. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. That was the part He was referring to. Uh, this day, this Scripture is fulfilled in your eyes. And so they had it right in front of them now. It was being identified right amongst them. They, they thought in their own self, when that was fulfilled, surely it'll be in the form of a great government and it'll be in the form of a great king and he'll rise up like Solomon did in his day and 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 see they're identifying the present by trying to make it like the past. If there's a kingdom to come, it's got to be like Solomon's kingdom, even though Solomon fulfilled his part and that was only a shadow and a type of a greater kingdom to come but as Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world for if it was of this world my servants would fight he wasn't looking at raising up a protest movement he wasn't looking at raising up an army he wasn't looking at raising up something that was some kind of natural uh holiness movement the pharisees tried to do that you know they try well we're gonna live so holy that god will be forced to bring his word to pass that had nothing to do with it god has a plan and God is fulfilling his word. And it's like when David was called to be the king. Where was he? Out in the field. Shepherding. He was doing his job. He was just there. and No different than Elisha. When Elijah anointed him. The word of the hour Elijah came to Elisha and anointed him. Threw his mantle on him. And Elisha came under that anointing. When David come in from the field, Samuel, the word of the hour, poured oil upon David. Type of the Holy Ghost. That the, the anointing was upon David through the word of the hour in order to quicken him to what his purpose was in life. And so is it with every individual in the bride of Jesus Christ. The word of the hour brings the anointing to 
to you to quicken you to the purpose that God has for you in this world. But it's not of this world. It's just in this world. For our kingdom is not of this world. I hope you can say amen to that. Our kingdom is not of this world. Our kingdom is away from this world. And we are going to a greater kingdom. We are going to another place. We are going to a better land. Hallelujah. We get our rest here. Did you know that? He that has entered into the Holy Ghost has entered into his rest. We, get, we lose fear here. If you're still afraid, you need to get perfect love. Because perfect love casts out all fear. Here, not there. That is the land of perfect love. It's true there'll be no fear over there. But there's no fear here for the believer. Amen. Oh, I wish we had a crowd here this morning. I feel like it's been so long since I preached. I feel like this is special meetings. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Amen. Everybody happy? Praise God. Amen. All right. So these anointings. Now I want to, I want to bring it down to the anointing upon this hour. Remember, modern events are made clear by prophecy. And so we, we're not we're not making something up, but we're identifying the hour we're living in. And spoken word is the original seed. It's a tremendous message. I always refer to people now. If you want to see what the seals are, read spoken word is the original seed. Where Brother Branham is pointing towards something that he doesn't know yet what it is. And then read Christ the mystery of God revealed when Brother Branham's looking back, now having the revelation of what it was that he was pointing to. He's pointing back to the seals in Christ the mystery of God revealed, identifying the opening of the seals and their place. So now in spoken word is the original seed. He says, he's referring to Joel, the book of Joel. I think I have that scripture here somewhere if I have it close by. It's not close by. I'll come back to it. But in Joel where it speaks about the former and the latter rain. He says, now we've had, and let me just interject here. Former and latter rain in Joel is identified in the Hebrew as the teaching and the harvest rain. Or the planting and the harvest rain. Okay. So, when you see former and latter, you see teaching and harvest, those are identifying the same two anointings or rain. He says, now we've had the teaching rain, is now 1962, just before the seals, actually a year before the seals. He says, we've had the teaching rain, we're ready now for the harvest rain. You know the first rain is when you plant the seed. That starts your crop growing. Then just before it matures, there comes another, and he says the word crop, but I think he means rain. There comes another crop, he says. That's what they call the harvest rain, he says. All right? So so that's the principle 
Uh, if you've ever lived in farm country like I did up north for many years, it's, it's great wheat farming up there and, and, uh, you have, you need the former rain or the teaching rain or the planting rain to germinate the seed. Brother Nathan is from Saskatchewan. He knows this. And then at the, at the certain place in the cycle, you need the harvest rain or the rain that puts the substance into the seed. And so, so it's got to go through different stages, like seven church ages, we'll just put it that way. And, and, and so it's, it's not that there's seven stages, but it's got to go through the ages. But then at the particular important time, in order to make the seed all of its potentials, there has to be a rain, and it's called the harvest rain, in order to bring the correct maturity. Alright, I want you to hear that word maturity, because in the harvest, you're looking for maturity. Now, the rain isn't the only thing that brings maturity, but the rain is the important ingredient without which the potentials cannot be realized. Alright, then over in the church age book now, Brother Branham describes it this way, and I hope you're still listening this morning, sometimes I... I could be like Brother Biscoe says, now you want to take notes and you want to write down some notes. And and uh, no offense to Brother Biscoe, but I'll say that's another era. We're, we're, call, we're recording this. If you miss something, go back and listen again. And you can watch the service again and catch maybe what you missed. So in the resume of the ages, he says, what seemed to be the answer to many, what seemed to be the answer... As many began to speak in tongues and manifest the gifts of the Spirit. Talking about the Pentecostal move. It was then believed this was indeed the long-awaited restoration. It was not. For the latter rain can only come after the former rain, which is the spring or teaching rain. The latter rain then is the harvest rain. How could this be the real thing when the teaching rain had not come? So what is he saying then? He's saying, well, let me just read on a little bit. He says, the prophet messenger who was to be sent to teach the people and turn the hearts of the children back to the Pentecostal fathers had not come yet. All right. Now catch that statement, had not come yet. So he's referring to the time before his ministry. Alright? He's not referring to when he's, when his ministry is happening, but he's referring to the rain that took place in the outpouring of the gifts and the move of the Spirit, Azusa Street, Topeka, Kansas, those kind of things, as the, as the Spirit of God began to move in the church, and a great manifestation of gifts happened. Now, I'm building up to something here, so stay with me. He goes on in, in the church age book, and, and then quotes again Joel, the former and the latter rain, Joel 2, 23 and 24. He says, God isn't going to plant a new church, but he's going to bring his original planting back to original seed. According as stated in verse 23, the teaching or former rain. Next, now this is the statement I always go back to. Next comes the harvest rain or rapturing faith. Alright, you've got to catch that connection now. It's not just a, as I said, some kind of a atmospheric anointing. It's rapturing faith. 
Now, in order to have faith, you've got to have the word. Because faith comes by hearing the word. And anytime you have, you have the word, it's got to be the anointed word for the season. As Brother Branham describes the seven thunders, which are the mysteries contained in the seals. I'm bringing a whole lot here this morning. That's why I say you may have to go back and listen to this again. But as Brother Branham says, it'll take the seven thunders, which are the mysteries contained in the seals, to bring that rapturing faith into the church. So in the opening of the seals, there's an anointed word that comes forth to anoint the church for her position. All right? Now I have to make one more connection before we can carry on. I'm just, this is all just foundational, really. In the message, Easter seal, now, now we're at 1965. He says, every time a religious power went forth to meet the challenge of the political power, When the lion raised up the religious power, it went to meet the Roman power. And then it became the sacrifice hour. The ox went because he's a sacrifice beast to the Lord. Then come the reformers down through the church ages come the face of a man. Then reformers have been since Luther, Wesley, Calvin down Pentecostal age. But in the last message that went forth, there came a flying eagle. It's eagle time, revealed time, the word of God made manifest, the word of God proved. Oh, children, he says, walk into this baptism of the Holy Spirit. Come in and believe it with all your heart and God will fill you. All right, so Brother Branham's identifying several things here now. So he says, now, there's been down through the ages different anointings. There's been the lion, the ox, the man. They all had their purpose. But he even identifies the Pentecostal movement under the man anointing. And I hope you catch that because that's important. And he says now, he says that comes under that anointing. He says, but it, when the, in this last message, when it goes forth, it becomes the flying eagle time. Or it becomes the time for another anointing. It, there, it, what Pentecost had will not produce what this has to produce. What Wesley had will not produce what this had. Well, did they have the Holy Ghost? Yes, they had the Holy Ghost. They had the anointing for their day. They were absolutely anointed to do what they did, but so are we anointed in this hour. And this anointing is a harvest anointing, a harvest rain or rapturing faith. Amen. We have come under the latter rain, the harvest rain, the eagle anointing, the maturity anointing. All right. I hope that's clear. And then Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, he talks about the rain. He says, that for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good. And sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. So now I want to, I want to take this. We've arrived at the reality that this is the anointing we're under, but this anointing comes into the age. This anointing comes into this hour. And so Jesus doesn't say when the wheat mature. He says at the time of the harvest. Now it's a harvest time after 
the harvest rain. There'll be a, a maturing. There'll be something that the harvest produce. The effect of the anointing doesn't just come upon the elect because there are others that have a purpose to fulfill. Judas had a purpose to fulfill. He was the son of perdition. He always was the son of perdition. He always was antichrist. But it took the right moment for that anointing to come upon him to produce. He, did he walk under the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. When they went out two by two and cast out devils, absolutely he was there. He, he walked under that power that was given to him, but he couldn't be but what he was made to be. He always was the son of perdition. He always had a purpose. He always had something to fulfill. And he was anointed to fulfill his part. Just like Caiaphas, the high priest. He had a part to fulfill. He had to prophesy. He had to declare the truth. That was his office. As also the Roman government had to be there. And they had to fulfill this this. uh, uh this purpose that they had, they had to, there had to be a capital punishment. There had to be a cross to hang on because the Bible said, cursed is he that hang on a tree and the Bibles and, and the scripture had to be fulfilled that Jesus would take away the curse of mankind. And so we realize that there's all of these things God allows to come into purpose, come into place. And then he sends an anointing to make them fulfill their purpose. Hallelujah. Might be a good anointing, might be a bad anointing, but God sends the anointing. We can look back in the days of Micaiah and how that God says in heaven, how shall we get the purpose of Elijah, the prophecy of Elijah to be fulfilled? And a lying spirit comes up before God and says, I'll get into the mouths of those prophets and cause them to prophesy a lie. And God says, go ahead, you'll be successful. They were prepared for that, to cause Ahab to go into battle, to cause him to lose his life according to the prophecy of Elijah. So all of these things have a purpose. Everything happening around you has a purpose. The estate of the economy today has a purpose. The shutdowns that are happening worldwide, and I think probably in Canada and probably in British Columbia, were one of the strictest places in the world. You know, it's it's incredible how... We get the honor of this great government that we have. It's just my, it's just tremendous. Excuse my sarcasm. And, uh, but we're living in a, in a tremendous time that God knew would be here. And it's all for a purpose. And because we're living under a harvest anointing, there are things that, the, that anointing has to bring to pass in events all around us. And by looking at this, we can see, and even if we look at the difference between the man anointing and the eagle anointing, I'll look at my watch for the first time here. As we look at the difference between these two anointings, we'll identify something very identifying for the time that we're living in. All right, just stay with me now. So, in the fifth seal we read, as Brother Brown talks about these anointings, he says, and then he talks about the, the man anointing. He says, the next thing that went out to combat was that, what, that was a beast with the face of a man. Smart, educated, shrewd, 
fine, anointed with the spirit of the day. All right, so this is the anointing to the era that was previous to us. And, and if I can identify it, I'll just say, Brother Bisco was born again under that anointing. All right, this is before the opening of the seals. There were men that were born of the Spirit of God in that era. Brother Branham's ministry came up under the anointing of a man. Okay, that man anointing. And then in the seals, it changed over to the eagle anointing. And, and you'll see what that means here. So he says, he went to combat him, that's the devil, with the cunningness of God's wisdom with him. That was the age of Reformation. Martin Luther, John Wesley, and so forth. It was the Reformation. Zwingli, Knox, Calvin, all who went forth. It was a cunningness. Okay. And then in the sixth seal, he says it this way. He says, Father, today we stand here by your grace. It's not because that it's a special people, just like the day of the lion, the ox, or the man. It's eagle time. It's the anointing of the hour. It's the time we're living in. Okay, it's the workings of the Holy Spirit for this particular time to prove that Jesus is not dead and the things that he said that he would do just before the evening lights went out. So let's go back now to the time. And I'll take two anointings back. I'll take us from the time of the ox anointing to the man anointing. Now we're going into history. We know under the man anointing, the first messenger was Martin Luther. And under that shrewdness, that cunningness, that, that it was, it wasn't Luther so much as it was an anointing upon him that could withstand one man, withstand the, the, the machinery of the Catholic Church. Now, now if we look at Luther and we, and we see, uh, that the anointing come to him and anointed the word to him, that said, the just shall live by faith. And the Holy Spirit, I'll just say it this way, begin to change the channel in which he would work or the, the, the way in which he would work in the church because the church in the ages just gone by were anointed with a sacrificial anointing to give their lives, to lay down their life at the stake and sacrifice themselves. And so when the church tried to physically suppress Luther, as it had done for over a thousand years. Don't get this. Don't mistake this. This is what they had been doing for hundreds and hundreds of years. Any opposition was physically suppressed. The arm of the government was used to, to wipe out lives that withstood the Catholic Church. And to make martyrs out of them. But in the midst of all that, the church, you could see the machinery. If you've ever read about the life of Martin Luther, you could see the machinery of the church trying to move into place. But it won't work. The government, the, the leaders, the secular leaders of the day are not pliable like they were before. All of a sudden, the, the German prince would not give in like they did in the past. Just a hundred years earlier, there was a man that raised up by the name of John Huss with very much the spirit that Luther had. Very much the revelation that Luther had. And he raised up and began to preach against the teachings of the church. And the church 
suppressed him and took him and burned him at the stake and took his life. But he said, don't worry, there'll be someone else that will rise up. But why didn't, why wasn't John Huss the man? Because it wasn't the time. It wasn't the right anointing. He was still under the ox anointing. But now came a different time, a different anointing. And one man inspired. Think about it. You talk about Brother Branham was standing denomination. This man withstood a, a, a one government, one church system all by himself and said, I cannot recant. I will not recant. It's the word of God. It's grace alone. It's the word alone. It's God alone. He stood for the word of God. Hallelujah. What a man. But he was anointed. He was anointed. And now the anointing had changed from the ox to the man anointing. And the, as Brother Brown kept referring in the different places, the shrewdness of a man. All right, so now, but we're not living under that anymore. And we say, I'll, I'll just say, the byproduct is also evident in the age. As we've moved from the man anointing now in the opening of the seals to the eagle anointing. What is the eagle anointing? It's the harvest anointing. It's the maturity anointing. We're no longer under the man anointing. What did the man anointing produce in the world? It didn't just produce the reformation. Because it's on the age, it produced great leaders. It was during that era you had your Napoleons and you had your Stalins and you had your Hitlers. I'm not saying they're right. I'm just saying they're, 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 they're men that rose up to greatness and, and were inspired to lead. And, and, uh, for different purposes and, and God allowed it all. Why? Because they, it's the anointing of the hour and it's, and the devil with his antichrist anointing and that's moving out now. But that era is past. That's why we're living in an hour now. I'll just say it this way. Where's the great leaders? There's none. Zero. Look at any government in the world. I don't care who they are. There's no great leaders. There's no one rising up and, and leading. It, it, it's, it's moving in a different way because the anointing is different. They, we're living in a different hour. And so we have to interpret the events that we're living in by the word for our age. Those events will not be repeated. And important, as I mentioned before, the Pentecostal movement was under the man anointing. Even our pastor saw things there and he's, and he's referred back to them. Things that he saw in the church as supernatural things that will not be repeated. Because that was a different anointing for a different era. We've come now to a different place. And it's important that we recognize the hour that we're living in. Because the things that were there, and I'll just say this, and to all of our older preachers in the message... That lived in the Pentecostal era and saw real things of God back there. Forgive me for saying this, but those things were not sufficient to produce a rapture. They just weren't. There was not yet the message of the hour that would loose the rapturing faith in the church. So am I in any way feeling bad because I can't reproduce what happened in 1906? No, because what happened in 1906 is not sufficient for a rapture. Am I feeling bad today because I can't reproduce some meetings back then? I'm not under operating under their anointing. It wasn't them producing that. It was God producing that. 
And so you had many trying to reproduce that, not realizing the anointing has changed to bring the church in a different direction. So now, now this, I just have to drop a couple things. You still with me? Are you sleeping out there on the internet? You're still with me. All right. God bless you. Now, I just have to drop this in because it's human nature to desire human leadership. That's human nature. Okay. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going where there's no leadership in the church. Don't get me wrong. There's still leadership in the church. I'm talking about the great moving leadership of man. Okay. That's what I'm talking about. But Brother Branham says in the message, super sign, you can read it for yourself. He says, it's human nature to desire a superman. He talked about the Baptists want a superman that'll gather all the churches under him. The Pentecostal want a superman that gather all the churches under him. I'll go further and say, carnally speaking, people within the framework of the message want a superman. This is, this is the superman here and they'll promote a man or a ministry and, and say, oh, he's traveling over here and he's got all the answers and he's got the great ministry. Don't even look for it. Don't even look for it. It's not going to happen. They maybe raise up to a certain promise. We say, why is it not going to happen, Brother Tim? Because the anointing is not there for it. We're not under the man anointing anymore. We're under a different anointing. It's an anointed word to lead the church to maturity. If you want to see maturity in the church, you go to Ephesians chapter 4, the fivefold ministry that's to bring the church to a place of maturity, to put her positionally till the body edifies itself in love, no longer children, no longer tossed to and fro, no longer having any problems. It's the word anointed through the ministry to bring us into position position of maturity and many try and rise up don't don't mistake me and i'm just i just have to stop and say this because i realize i realize unfortunately that i'm not just speaking in this room here and and uh, and believe me i know who's listening i'll just say this many will try and rise up and say i'm the one the one to lead this message has already come and gone. There was one messenger. He was the seventh messenger. There were seven in the hand of Christ. Not eight. There's not another one that we look for. There is no more. Even, even you know, uh, Jesus, when they came to him, are you here? Do we look for another? He said, just watch what happens. We just look at Brother Brown's ministry, you'll see he was the one. Someone try and compare all this or that. I was in India one time and the Lord was giving us wonderful meetings and the brothers were saying, Brother Tim, why don't you, why don't you put your sermons into print and like so and so does or why don't you send us your sermons and all these kind of things. And I said, brothers, listen, I wasn't the one in 1933 that the angel said as John the Baptist. Forerun the first coming of Christ, so will your ministry forerun the second coming of Christ. I wasn't the one in 1950 that had his picture taken with the pillar of fire. I wasn't the one in 1963 that met seven angels out on the desert. I wasn't that one. That one's already been identified. 
Amen. That ministry's already been declared and it came, it had to come in a man anointing to attract the attention of the world. There had to be an anointing. Why do revivals happen? It's an anointing. It's God in a sovereign move gathering people together under anointing. Brother Branham came up under a man anointing, but when the eagle anointing came, did it raise up in great prominence? No. It, it bowed its head in great humility. God in simplicity, the service to forerun that latter rain anointing, the uh, rapturing faith. God in simplicity. Hallelujah. But we're living in a time. Oh, what a time we're living in. Give me, give me some more time, will you? This, we're eternal creatures. Yeah, preachers love to say that, don't they? Yeah, we're eternal creatures. We can preach forever. We're living in a great time where not just the bride, but all seeds come to maturity. We're living in this hour. You know, when Brother Branham preached against certain things, like education and Hollywood and politics and medical science and immorality and all of those things, he was preaching against it in seed form. But now we're living in the hour where we're seeing it come to its maturity. Everything has to find its place to produce end time events just like it did in Jesus' day. You know, everything has to be in its position. I'll, I'll say it this way. Let me, let me just highlight a few things here. We, the events that have unfolded in the United States in the last month, two months. Democracy, so-called. Okay? We, we, people look at democracy and and, and talk about, oh, you know, democracy has failed, or this, or that, or... I, I don't even want to get in all the comments. They're on both sides of, of the spectrum, and everybody's, you know, up in arms about what's happening, and disappointed in different ways, and all that kind of things. I mean, some people were disappointed four years ago, and some people are disappointed in this election. It's all disappointments. But Brother Branham, what did he say? 1960, he said, politics, low down, nation corrupted he says look what they're going to put they're going to put soldiers in shorts now oh my politics is at the end dictators is wrong politics is wrong why didn't they stay with the godly king like god give them david the great lord of england said when this democracy was formed he said it's all right now but it'll come the time it'll be nothing it's all sails and no anchor. He said, politicians stand on soapboxes on every corner with all kinds of crooked things that corrupt the government. He said, and then Brother Bram says, and the man was right. That's exactly what's going on. Now, Brother Branham preached against it in seed form. Now we're living in the maturity of it. Can somebody give me an amen? Somebody give me an amen out there. All right. He says, he goes on in Is Your Life Worthy, 1963. He says, let me tell you, politics will never work. No, sir, democracy will never work. Are you listening to me? This is your prophet speaking. He says, politics will never work. Democracy will never work. He says, democracy is rotten to the bone. If it could be run amongst, amongst a bunch of Christians, it would be fine. But when you put it out here in the world, it becomes all sails and no anchor. That's exactly right. 
He says the devil controls, not in message, the devil controls all politics that's ever been or ever will be. I'm saying these things for a reason. He says politics are corrupted. Democrats, Republicans, and all is low down. I hope all my American brothers are listening to this. This is our prophet declaring this. He says, Democrats, Republican, and all is low down. What is it? It's a bunch of graft. Every person works in it that's not born again is of the devil. Now that kind of explains it, doesn't it? Can you say amen, nod your head or cover your eyes or something out there, you know, whatever you want to do. That's the reality of what a prophet of God is telling us. It's come to its maturity. We're living in the hour that this is on full display right amongst us. Brother Branham talks about socialism and communism. He says, I want to preach one of these nights on sowing to the wind and reaping the whirlwind. He says, that's what the nations has done, is sowed to the wind and is reaping the whirlwind. We sowed to socialism and reaping communism. Now that, back in his day, that would be hard to identify, but it's easy to identify in our day. Why? Because we've come to the maturity of it. I could talk about medical systems. Now, this is a touchy one, because we appreciate everything that the doctor can do for us. Appreciate every, every help that the doctor can give us. And, but, you know, the Bible says, uh, regarding the Lord Jesus, and I want you to catch this now, because we see it come to its maturity. He says, for as much then as the children, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14, you could put that on the screen if you wanted to there in the, in the room. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood. That's you and me. We live in these bodies. He also himself likewise took part of the same. That through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. And deliver them who through fear of death. Through fear of death were all their lifetimes subject to bondage. Fear of death and bondage are connected. Now we see the maturity of it. Why is the world locked down? Fear of death. Why have they brought the people into bondage? Fear of death. And they've used the tool of the people's fear of death to bring them back into bondage. And we see that in the natural, just as it's true in the spiritual. Alright, so so now what does the prophet of God say? He says, we're so thankful for this to know that we have this grand outlet tonight to get rid of all of our worries, all of our troubles, our sicknesses, our diseases, and even the very fear of death itself. And death shall flee from us when we confess him and believe him. Amen. You know, the world is, is totally, uh, wrapped up in this, in this virus. And I was, I was thinking about this, pondering all of these different things. And I was talking to my good friend, brother Stephen Abali, uh, last week. And I, I said, I want to talk to you for a minute. I says, I know that you deal in death in your country in a different level than we do here. But your people seem to have a simpler 
attitude towards it. And, and I begin to, we begin to converse regarding it because I wanted to understand the mentality of the Africans because fear of death is a mental attitude. Alright? If you have the right mental attitude towards any divine promise, it'll bring it to pass. If you have the wrong mental attitude, it brings you into bondage. Alright? So, as I was discussing it with him, he said, he was telling me, he says, you know, over here, we lose babies in childbirth. Because we don't have your medical system. He says, we lose mothers in childbirth because we don't have your medical system. He says, there's different diseases that come around and people die, like malaria. Though they've got some more medication than they used to have. He says, if a person is diagnosed with cancer over here, it's a death sentence. It's not something, oh, treatments. What it, no, they don't have the treatments we have here. They don't have access to the medical system that we have. And, they said, and, and I said to him, I says, well, at your age, he's in his mid-60s. He's in his mid-60s. He's, I said, that's kind of the end of life in your area. He says, yeah. He says, not many people live beyond their 60s. He says, that's just, that's just the life of an African. There's some that do, but, but not many people do. The lifestyle isn't as healthy as what we have here. So we enjoy a lot here. So I began to see in my discussion with him that our medical system has not instilled faith in us, but has instilled fear in us. That, you know, we get a little ailment or we get a little problem. And we thank the God for the doctors and, he's, and we know the quotes. But uh, in the midst of all that, I'm talking about society at large. They've come to the place that if there's a physical or some kind of an ailment, they expect the medical community to solve the problem. They're trying to make, make it so that they can never die without eternal life. And so it becomes, we've come to the maturity of this medical system and the country spends billions and trillions of dollars to prop up this system, and I, this might not make me popular, folks, but you know what? If time goes on, we're all going to die. I hope that's not a surprise to you. But if time goes on, we're all going to die. We're facing it. The only answer is the Lord Jesus Christ. The only answer is, is Him who, by reason of His death, loosed us from fear of death. We're not scared to die because the believer never dies. We just lay this robe down and we step into another robe. We lay this mortal body down and we step into an eternal body. And if we're here when the Lord comes, this mortal will take on immortality. This corruption will take on incorruption. We will be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. Why? It's not the medical system. That's Satan's Eden. It's because of the promise of the Word of God. It's the life that dwells within us. See, the key to the Word of God is letting the eternal life within the believer produce the results that it was meant to produce. If the same Spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, it shall quicken your mortal body. If you can get everything out of the way, Brother Brown likened it to a a creeper in a cornfield. He says you get creepers in there and you have to cut them out because they'll they'll grab a hold of the corn stalk and they'll deform it. They'll pull it over. 
They'll, they'll make it what it's not supposed to be. He says, but if you can cut away the creeper, he says, the stalk will grow normally. Why? Because it's got the life of the stalk in it. And so is it with the believer. See, it's the decisions we make. It's the, it's the attitudes we have. It's the, it's what we're looking at. It's what we're thinking on. All of those kind of things. If we'll, if we'll have it in the right channel, the eternal life within us will be able to grow the way it's meant to grow. See, it's the same way with natural human life. It's, I shouldn't look at anybody. Maybe I'll look up here. It's the decisions we make of what we eat that give these natural bodies problems. Can we say amen to that? It's, it's the decisions we make about how much rest we get. It's the decisions we make of what we expose ourselves to that create problems in the physical body. If you get rid of those bad decisions, then you can let the life naturally heal. Brother Brown says life is the healer. You, you can't heal a dead man. The dead man will never heal. It takes life to heal the body. And so we, these things now, we're, we're living in a time where, where we have such great medical systems that it's become the people's answer to their fear of death. We could go on and talk about education. Brother Bram says some powerful things in Power of Transformation and about education. He says, God's great civilization won't have, won't have any of that there. All right. I'm going to bring this to a close here. What is maturity? I talked about the world coming to maturity, but what's the bride's maturity? Naturally speaking, or according to the dictionary, Maturity is the ability to respond to the environment, being aware of the correct time and location to behave and knowing when to act according to the circumstances and the culture of the society that one lives in. That's quite a mouthful, but it's basically... Maturity is the ability to respond in the right way to the right circumstances. That's what maturity is. See, the Apostle Paul said to the church back then in the Hebrew church, as he's speaking about to the Hebrews, the deity of Jesus Christ and the redemptive purpose of God in the first seven chapters of the book of Hebrews, he begins to speak to them about things, about the eternal and about the theophany. And he says in Hebrews chapter 5, he says, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Alright? Many things to be said there, but we'll carry on. And being made perfect, chapter 5 and verse 9 of Hebrews, being made perfect, or being made complete, or being brought to maturity, we could say, He became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Called of God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And then he says, of whom we have many things to say. And are hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing. He's speaking to the Hebrews here. He says, for when the time you ought to be teachers... 
You need that one teach you again what be the first principles of the oracles of God and have become of such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. He's talking to the Hebrew church. He says, you ought to be teachers. You ought to be the mature ones. You ought to know who you are. You ought to know your position. You ought to know exactly what the promises are pertaining to you. You ought to know exactly. You've come through now thousands of years of lineage of the promised Messiah. Now you've received the Messiah. And to you, church, the Hebrew church, to you is revealed what it was all about. You ought to be teachers about this. But instead, you have need of milk. Why was he telling them that? Because they were still going back to the law, talking about do's and don'ts. And don't do this and don't do that and don't live this way and don't... Don't live that way. And, and, and you know you can't, you can't have. Uh, they were trying to bring the Gentile church under the law. Even though under the law nobody was made complete. Even though under the law nobody received faith. Under the law there was not what they had need of. He says for everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness. For he's a babe. But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age. That word full age is the same as the word perfect that he described Jesus. It's just the King James changes it. It means complete. Strong meat belongs to them that are complete, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And I'm going to quote the Amplified. I'm not a big amplifier, amplified Bible quoter, and some people get offended if you quote it. But I thought it was well put in the in this scripture, in the Amplified, even though the Bible itself contains many errors, which I'll leave for someone else to explain. He says, but solid food is for full-grown men, for those whose senses and mental faculties are trained by practice to discriminate and distinguish between what is morally good and noble and what is evil and contrary to either to divine or human law. Now that's important. I want to ask you a question. Are you mature? Because the maturity anointing's here. But now it's a personal gospel. Are you mature? Are your senses exercised to be able to discern between right and wrong? Are you in a position that you can say, I know this is contrary to God's word, or I know that's contrary, or you're not in the word enough? All right? I want to, I want to go further. You know, we can find, we were talking about J- Jacob and Esau, and how that Jacob, when he came to maturity, was after the meeting of the angel at the river. When he had his name changed from Jacob to Israel. And one of the keys that I noticed a long time ago when I studied this, before his meeting with the angel, it was all about him. I suffered. I fled from Esau. I ran out into the wilderness. I, you know, endured there with a rock for my pillow. Yeah, God met him there and God anointed him there, but it wasn't a maturity anointing. He goes down to Laban. He, I labored seven years for Rachel and you gave me Leah. He tells this to Laban. I labored another seven years for, to get Rachel. 
I worked for you all these more years. He says, you changed my wages so many times. I had to do this. I had to do that. I, 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 my life is so hard. I've been through so much. I got so many scars. I got so many bruises. He did this to me. That one did that to me. This one did this to me. Oh my. And yet when he come right down to meeting Esau, now he comes down to the river and meets the angel. He says, your name is not Jacob, actually. You don't even understand who you are. Your name is Israel. For as a prince, you have power with God. Oh, is that what my life is all about? Yeah, as a prince, you have power with God. And the angel touched him and changed his walk and made him weak in his walk because he didn't need to be strong in himself. Now he understood he was strong in the Lord. Hallelujah. And so Jacob began to walk different. And he had sent his wives ahead and he had sent a gift ahead to Esau and all these kinds of things. But now look at his attitude change when he comes to meet Esau in chapter 33 of Genesis. And he, and he lifted up his eyes. Esau did and saw the women and the children and he said to Jacob, who's, who are these with you? And he says, this is what he says, the children which God has graciously given thy servant. Oh, hallelujah. Jacob had matured. Jacob had come to a different anointing where he suddenly realized it's not me and my labors and my trials and my hardships and my rough time and what I went through and I was strong and I did this and I did that. No, now I see it for what it really was. God was gracious with me. God dealt with me graciously and gave me. And furthermore, goes down a little uh, further as Esau says, I don't want the gift. He says, please take it. He says, take the blessing that is brought to thee because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough. And then Esau took it. It wasn't that he was so much before the meeting with the angel, he was trying to appease Esau. Now he was, what was it matter? God blessed me there. He's going to bless me here. God's watched over me this far. God's going to continue to watch over me. God took care of me all these years. God will continue to take care of me. It's no different than Joseph. As a boy, he was bragging about, I saw this dream and, and you all bowed down to me and, and I believe it's true and I got a great position coming in life and well, that's not exactly written in how to win friends and influence people. He lost his brothers. Amen. He lost his, his family. Uh, respect and even his dad corrected him somebody just ministered on this and so he's coming down the road and and he's he, he gets thrown into prison you know he gets thrown into the pit he gets sold into potiphar's house then he ends up in prison and then he meets the baker and the butler and then he after two full years he finally comes out of prison and he, he comes into position of Pharaoh and, they, he talk, and he, he's leading the country and he's doing all these things. And, and so finally when his brothers come to meet him and his brothers thinking, oh, this is it. Now when they find out, oh, it's Joseph and we're the ones that, that sold him into slavery and did all these bad things. And, and they were even feeling guilty about what they had done. And then Joseph says, I am Joseph, your brother. And he makes himself known to them. And they're scared. And he says, don't be scared. Why? Because God had a purpose in it all. To preserve life. Hallelujah. He had come to maturity. He had recognized it's God's hand in it all. Sometimes in life. 
This, this might be strong, so have we got a camera back here? I can turn around. And <laughs> I've raised 10 children. I'm still raising children. Pray for me. But I've raised 10, ten children. I know what children are. Something goes wrong and the world has come to an end. Now the parents say, amen, you know, someone gets stubs their toe and it's like, ah, you know, I need mommy and I need daddy and oh, you know, everything's bad. And then all of a sudden, you know, you let it go by a little further, everything's fine. And then the next thing comes along, oh, woe is me. And, you know, oh, you know, that's children. They're children. You can't blame them. They're children. You have to put up with those things. You comfort them and you tell them it's okay and, you know, everything's all right and don't worry about it. Everything will be okay. That's, that's what you do with children, isn't it? Can somebody nod your head? Don't worry, Brother Anthony. You'll, you'll learn. And, uh, you know, these things, these are the realities in life. That's what children are about. But when they come to full age, I, I got, I got children that are still children. I hope they're not listening to this. And I got children that are mature. I got children that are still children that will love to tell me and insinuate, Dad, you were too hard on us. Dad, you were too hard on us. Okay? But I got other children that are mature that tell me, Dad, I don't have a single problem with anything of how you raised us. I thought, well, it's got to be one or the other. <laughs> you know, it's a difference of attitude. Some are still children. Oh, woe is me, I got spanked. Or woe is me. Oh, that's not politically correct to say in this day, I guess. Woe is me because I had my rights taken away. Or woe is me because of this. Or woe is me because of that. That's still children. Oh, this is getting squeaky. That's okay. I can feel. But yet, God is calling and has anointed his church with a word to bring maturity. Hallelujah. It's all for a purpose. All right. Brother Brown talking about Jesus is he was so completely surrendered to God's anointed word till he was the Messiah. Egyptians tried to turn it down this way. Or I'm sorry, he's talking about Moses here. Excuse me. He says he was so completely surrendered to God's anointed word till he was the Messiah, small m Messiah. And the Egyptians tried to turn it down this way. The unbelievers tried to turn it down. The make-believers tried their scheme, but God's word took them straight on through to the promised land. They were anointed and he was the Messiah. And then he goes on in the same message, 1964. He says, the Holy Ghost in you will punctuate the word, every word, amen, amen, amen. He doesn't just say it once. He says it three times. He says, when the word says anything, you say, that's the truth. He says, amen, because you agree with the word. You're agreed with God. You and God are one. God is in you. You're his son or his daughter. Makes you a Messiah for him. The anointed word living out in you. 
Amen. That's your position. That's your age. That's your calling. That's what God has elected you to. The anointed word of this hour living out in you, the individual. Amen. He says another place. He says, choosing of a bride. He says, if you say you got the Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost and won't cope with the word, it's another spirit in you. God's spirit is on his word. The Messiah, the anointed word, and the bride must be the Messiah, the anointed word. Amen. There's got to come a representation. Not got to come. We're here. There is a representation of maturity walking on the face of the earth. I don't even like to say there's got to come. We either hear or it doesn't exist. You look around you. Oh, you might see one squalling like a child. You might see another one wondering where they are in their teenage attitude. But there's a real people that have a real faith in the anointed word of the hour. They have been anointed with the word of God to declare that in this age. Brother Branham says, and seed is not air with the shuck. He said, Luther went to husk with his first word, the just shall live by faith. Wesley had two words, sanctification, second work of grace. Pentecost had the third word, restoration of the gifts. But the entire seed has to come forth. See how they denominated on one word and another word and another word. But there's got to come something that cannot be denominated. It's the entirety of the life that's in there has to produce itself for a bride. Amen. There's where we are in this hour. Church age book, he says, her ripeness will be an identification with her Lord by means of the word. And her head who will come to her is the mystery of godliness. What is the mystery of godliness? God was manifested in the flesh. What is the mystery of godliness in this hour? God was manifested in the flesh. Amen. God anointing his word to you individually. He says, as the false church with all cunning and diabolical power made up of political force, physical force, and demons of darkness come against the true vine, the true vine with the fullness of the spirit and the word will do the very acts of power that Jesus did. I read these things and I just say, amen. That's not just something for the future. That's something that's laying inside of this seed gene in here. I am the seed gene for this hour. I am the elect for this hour. I am the one that's called to fulfill these promises. Glory to God. Just as Jesus sat there and said, this day this scripture is fulfilled. I stand here this morning and say, this day this scripture is fulfilled. It's not just a one-man ministry. It's a many-membered body. That's the anointed word fulfilled in her day. This is her hour. He says, she will do the very acts of power that Jesus did. What will do it? It's not you working yourself up in it. It's God's. This is God's redemptive plan. Hallelujah. That's where I can stand and rejoice and say, it's not me, it's him. It's not me that's going to produce these things. It's God by me believing his word. Jesus walked by faith in what the word said he was. You walk by faith in what the word says you are. Get everything else aside. I come to that just as I close. Because he's the high priest of our profession. And Brother Bram says, as, as she nears her headstone, becoming like him through the word, Jesus will come and the bride and groom will be forever united as one. Hallelujah. What does it mean? I was thinking about what it meant. And the word just came to me, confession. 
It's not my strength. It's not my intellect. It's not how much I know. It's not how much I can quote. It's not how much I can put together. But if I believe it, I will speak like I believe it. Because he's the high priest of our profession or confession. It's the same word. And I I was thinking about confession. And I was thinking about Abraham. As pertained to his hour. To the believers of this hour. I want you to listen to me real close as we come to a close. What did Brother Michael say? Give yourself 120 seconds and then come up. Is that what he told the musicians? (laughs) That was incredible. I don't want you to give yourself 120 seconds. I'll call you, okay? I don't want you to be losing focus here, counting on your watch or whatever. The Bible says of Abraham in Hebrews 11 and verse 13. Now remember, he's the father of the faith. We are the children of Abraham by faith. Okay? It says, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Not only were they strangers and pilgrims on the earth, they lived like it. In other words, this country is not my country. I'm a stranger here. I'm a pilgrim here. I appreciate Brother John flying the flag of heaven from his vehicle. If I was ever to fly a flag from my vehicle, I would want it to be the flag of heaven. Not any other confession. I want to confess that it doesn't matter. And this is hard because we live in these countries that are run by, I'll say simple people, I'll be gracious. Simple people. Diabolical people, really. Demon-inspired people. But I confess, this is not my country. Canada, as far as earthly countries go, it's a great country. But I want to confess, in the revelation that I walk in, that it doesn't really matter who the government is. I have another government I'm going to. I hope you can say amen to that this morning. If I was an American... I would confess the same thing. They say that the United States is not my country. I want to be like my father Abraham and confess I'm a stranger and I'm a pilgrim here. I'm seeking a city whose builder and maker is God. I want everything that I do to reflect that confession. I want everything that I say To reflect that confession. This is what the word has anointed me to do. I have come to the maturity of the word. The government says we can't have church. The government says we can't have people in a building. We still have church. Because we are the church. We still have the word. We still have preachers. We still have many things. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to be cowed by the government. I'm not going to let them rule my life. I'm going to worship God. 
I'm going to spend my efforts. I'm going to get together when the service times arrive. And I'm going to sit in that service if I have to sit. And it's not easy when you got two little children at home. I know what that feels like. I got the little children at home that need attention and distraction and so much so and, and all of those things. And when we sit there to labor, to sit on the edge of my seat and say, Lord, I'm not of this world. This Word that is coming forth is the most important thing in my day. Not what the government says, not what my job says, not what the economy says, not what whatever says. Let them say whatever they're going to say. For he says, for they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. Are you seeking a country? I'm asking you, are you seeking a country? Are you really seeking it? Are you really after it? Do you really want it more than anything in this world? Young person, young men especially, can get so entrapped by the trappings of this world and the career and the, and the sports and all of those things. And listen, all of those things are appealing to any human being. I'm not, I'm not downgrading those things, but I want my confession to be, I'm seeking a city. I'm not of this world. And my confession declares plainly that I'm seeking a country. It says this, truly if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out. He's talking about Abraham and Sarah. They might have had opportunity to have returned. I don't want to return to this country. But they desire a better country that is a heavenly wherein God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared for them A city. The musicians can come. To be mindful. The Bible says they were mindful. If they had been mindful of the country from whence they came. The word mindful means to remember. You know there was a certain woman called Lot's wife. She was mindful of the country that she came out of. The angels were sent to deliver her. Out of that corruption that was going to be destroyed. Listen, we're in the midst of a corruption, a sodomite age. And it's going to be destroyed. But the angels have come. The harvest angels are here with an anointing to deliver you out of this country. Don't lose your focus. Don't let the devil distract you. Don't be mindful of the country. In other words, don't be remembering it. The word remember is even in the scripture about Lot's wife. It even implores us, remember Lot's wife. Don't remember like she remembered, but remember what she did. She was so thinking about the world and the things she was leaving behind. Listen, let your confession be, I'm seeking a city whose builder and maker is God. I'm seeking a better place. I'm seeking another land. Not because I just want it. Not because I don't like this world. But because there's something in me that tells me this word is true. There's something within me that declares this is the true promise. And I shall be the manifestation of this promise. And there will be a people that will be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. And I will be with those people. I will declare the word of the Lord for this day. I am called to declare God's word. I am called to manifest this word. I have no other vision. Hallelujah. Oh, I might have a home. I might have a car. It's here today, gone tomorrow. It doesn't really matter. I'd like my family to catch that vision. Those things are just natural, carnal things. But let us have our one thoughts upon God and let our confession be, you know what, I'm just a stranger here. That's why I don't, the, the politics, 
It's corruption I don't really understand. The medical science and the people's fear of death, I don't really understand it because God took away all my fears. As Paul said, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. To die is gain. He had a revelation, if I go on the other side, there's nobody that went on the other side that said, you know what, I want to go back. Even Brother Branham caught on the other side temporarily, even said, don't tell me I have to go back. He didn't want to go back. But the angel said, go back because you've got to fulfill your purpose. You've got to come to your maturity. You've got to bring forth your harvest because your life has a purpose in this hour and you've been anointed for maturity. And he was the wave sheep that was waved over this age and brought to maturity. And we are the rest of the crop that will follow behind that wave sheep and be brought to our maturity. Jesus Christ is the high priest of our confession. If you say you're a Christian, Brother Branham says, you could play softly, how great is our God? He says, if you're a Christian and believe it all along, your testimony will bring you right into it. If you believe in healing and believe that God has healed you, confess it. God will make your body obey your confession. Hallelujah. You know, we got a great example of that right here with Brother Tom. All he's been through, he just keeps confessing the positive. Just keep confessing the positive. Appreciate that, Brother Tom. It's a testimony. It's a witness that God is real. You say, oh, well, he's been through this and he's been through that. Yeah, well, so have I, so have you. But what's your confession? What's your confession this morning? I'm a child of the King. I have a God that heals all my sicknesses and diseases. Hallelujah. That's my confession this morning. He's the high priest of our confession, Brother Branham says, making, setting at the right hand of the Father now with his own blood to make intercessions for any confession upon anything that he died for. Another place he says, only by your confession can you be saved. That's the most powerful weapon that God put in the hand of man is committal and confession. It'll do it every time if you'll believe it, accept it on those bases. Believe it and stay with it. Keep confessing it. The splendor of a king. Let's stand together as we worship him. Robed in majesty. All the earth rejoice. about this kingdom we have, this kingdom that we're going to, darkness tries to hide and trembles at his voice, trembles at his voice, our praise is our God, oh sing with me how great is our God, and all we'll see how great how great is our God oh from age to age we stand yes Lord oh and time is everything's right on time beginning and the end the beginning and the end God 
together he's the great one he's worthy of all praise he's working out 
His redemptive purpose. He's made known all of His promises and He's declared His mysteries even to this age to anoint us with a word for maturity. The bride being ripened in the presence of the Son to take her place with the bridegroom to rule and reign with Him throughout eternity. As your head is bowed, your eyes are closed, if you're able to do that where you are, how many would identify? How many would confess and say, that's my place. That's where I belong. I want to live the word for this hour. Maybe there's somebody this morning that said, my confession hasn't been great. I've been identified with the complainers. I've been identified with those that perished in the wilderness. Maybe I've looked back at the leeks and the garlics that I used to enjoy and and grumbling that I don't have them now. Maybe you just want to lay that down before the Lord and say, forgive me, Lord. Anoint me to change my confession. Let me walk as a mature son or daughter of God in this hour. Declaring the majesty of the word that has come forth to bring the fulfillment of every promise for the bride. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just want to say, I just commit everything that was said into your hands. It takes the Holy Spirit to make these things real to each and every one of us, Lord. To reveal the truth behind it, oh God. Our English language is limited. Our human expression is limited. But Lord, when we speak the truth, you're able to come behind it and anchor it into your children's hearts. And cause them to rise up victorious over anything that the devil would throw at them, O God. Let those that are sick say, I am healed. Let those that are weak say, I am strong. Let those, O God, that have troubles say, He is my deliverer. He is the mighty conqueror. He is the one that sets me free. He is the one that gives me the victory. Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, may the power of your anointed word come into every life wherever this sermon is heard. Wherever this word is heard, may it focus them to the message of the hour. There's so much distraction by media, different things, oh God, in people's lives that that just trouble them, oh God. May it trouble them no more. Maybe there be somebody here that's listening this morning that's addicted to social media. May you break those chains of addiction. Lord, may you loose them from that devil. And may you give them focus in the Word of God to walk in the revelation of what you've called them to be in this hour. Lord, there's nothing can stand before her when she recognizes who she is. Nothing can stand before the bride. For Lord, your word has given us the victory. We thank you for it, Lord, this morning. We thank you for this time that we could have together. Pray you bless Brother John as he prepares for tonight. And preach to us tonight and bring us into your presence once again. It might not be easy. But nevertheless, Lord, you're in it. And Lord, we just come to to confess, O God, 
that you're the one that has everything in your control. And regardless of what the temporary restrictions are, we just claim every promise in your word, Lord. I claim it for the widows. I claim it for the fatherless. I claim it, Lord, for the sick and the feeble. I claim it, Lord, for those that are away from you, even backslidden. If some backslider hears this message someday, Lord, may they come back to you. Lord, may they realize they've, they've allowed their confession to go sideways, oh God. May you just bring each one into their rightful mind and rightful position in Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord. We commit ourselves to you. We thank you for this hour that we live in because you've given us a message that identifies the day that we're living in. We give it to you. We give this service to you now in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I wonder if we could just sing. I think it's the same key. Touching Jesus is all that really matters just before we dismiss. Touching Jesus is all that really matters. And your life will never be the same. And there's only one way to touch Just believe when you call on His name. Oh, touching Jesus is all that really matters. Then your life will never be the same. God bless you. I didn't uh, have somebody close in prayer. I just felt to pray with you. I just want to say if there's an individual and you're just believing God, your faith and my faith united with God's anointed word will set you free from anything that's troubling you. Just go from the service this morning believing God. Just say, Lord, it was spoken. I believe it. And I'm going to make that confession from here on out. Lord, you're in control. And everything's working exactly according to your perfect will. Amen. God bless you. I wish I could shake one another's hands. But you know, God bless you. The service is dismissed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.